Amen. Thank you, Madeline. Can we give her a hand? We might have to have you do that more often. You're so, so good at that. Well, welcome, everyone. You get me again. Uh, I was in the video announcements earlier, if you missed them. We thought that I wasn't going to be a part of the services today, so the team was like, hey, you should do the video announcements. So I did that, and then, uh, because of an illness, uh, also got to write a sermon and prepare for that. So your Eric quota just went up like 200%. So here I am, here we are. I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome to those of you joining us online from wherever you are. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, we would love to uh, pray for you, help you connect, support you in any way. So our team would love to do that. Please let us know. Uh, we're beginning uh, the third week of Advent today, together approaching the Christmas season. Though if you've been to like a store lately, it feels about like the seventh week of Christmas. And it might already be Valentine's Day if you go to like Walgreens. So men, if you're looking for a jump on those chocolates, uh, now's the time. But here we are walking our way through Advent uh, together, taking stock of the darkness. We often don't think about in this, that in this season, but we're taking stock of the darkness in order that the true light of Christ would be clearly seen. The paradox of the Advent season is that it means arrival. The light of the world, the true word, the Savior has come, and yet here we are in the middle of darkness and confusion and wars of every kind, still waiting for what's been promised, the Prince of Peace to live among us, and as we sang earlier, to rule in all our hearts alone. We find ourselves now in between, standing in that moment of the already and the not yet. The light has dawned, but doesn't seem yet to have reached the, the deepest darknesses inside and around us. The truth is that moment of already and not yet is something we find ourselves in all the time. To live the life of a disciple of Christ is to live always in Advent time, knowing that the light has come and waiting the light, awaiting the light that is yet to shine in its fullest measure. Advent time that is anticipatory time, but it's also participatory time. In our series intro a few weeks ago, Scott Erickson invited us to move from ideology to participation, that this is a season of participation, from simply knowing and believing in to experiencing, as the word says, to taste and see. It's not enough for us to simply believe in the Prince of Peace. The call for us is to become peace. The incarnation, Jesus becoming human, didn't happen just back then, but it's happening now in and through you and I. The season of Advent and really the, the whole of the Christian life is a continual process of becoming. If you're here today and you feel uh, incomplete, like you haven't arrived, or maybe you're not even sure who you are, congratulations, you're right on schedule. You are still becoming, I am still becoming, we together are still becoming human. Advent is all about discovering and embracing our humanity. It's easy to miss, I know, because the Christmas season is, is full of so much of what Pastor Abby's young son last week called Christmas blurry color. You remember her story of driving with the kids to look at Christmas lights, and, and Mark had asked them to slow down because he couldn't see what he was looking at. It was just Christmas blurry color. But this season is ultimately about the God of the universe becoming human, entering into the world the same way you and I did, 
gritty, messy, loud. One of my favorite Christmas albums is called Behold the Lamb of God, the true tall tale of the story of Christmas. And in it, there's a song called Labor of Love. And it begins like this. It was not a silent night. There was blood on the ground. You could hear a woman cry in the alleyways that night on the streets of David's town. And the stable was not clean and the cobblestones were cold. And little Mary, full of grace, with the tears upon her face, had no mother's hand to hold. It was a labor of pain. It was a cold sky above. But for the girl on the ground in the dark, with every beat of her beautiful heart, it was a labor of love. The word became flesh and lived with us. And in Advent, you must wrestle with the relationship between divinity and humanity. The real beauty isn't found in the invitation to become like God. Though going back to Adam and Eve, we find that desirable. Rather, the beauty, the mystery, the wonder is really found in the fact that God became one of us. One pastor and theologian put it this way, what it is to be human is forever bound up in what it is for one particular human to be God. I'll say that again slowly because as I came across that this week, I literally stopped stared at the wall uh, for a long time, just pondering its profoundness. My coffee was hot and then it was cold by the time I was done thinking about what that means. What it is to be human is forever bound up in what it is for one particular human to be God. And so today, as we look at what it is for us to become peace, the good news is that peace isn't something we drum up or create on our own. A lot of ill in the world is done when people are trying to do anything at all costs to create peace, individually, at the great, great level. Rather, peace is a path we walk in, and ultimately, peace is a person that we follow. In our scriptures for today that Madeline read, we have Zechariah's song about his son, whom we know as John the Baptist. John was called upon to prepare the way for Jesus, who guides our feet into the path of peace. And then we have Isaiah's prophecy about Jesus as the Prince of Peace, whose kingdom of peace will have no end. So today, as we consider these two scriptures, I want us to understand that Jesus' path of peace and this kingdom of peace are, are bigger than our, than our earthly notions of peace as a quiet moment to ourselves, or even simply nations not engaged in war. Rather, the peace that we are invited to become is a, is a life-altering, category-busting way of being that indeed passes understanding. But we're going to try together. Today, we'll look at three ways we become peace. By receiving peace, being led in the path of peace, and passing the peace. So let's pray together as we begin. God, thank you for meeting us here uh, Lord, and we are just mindful as we gather in the comfort and safety and freedom of these walls uh, of, of incredible brokenness in the world. Jesus, we're particularly uh, mindful this morning of, of the devastation in uh, Kentucky over the weekend and surrounding states as a result of tornadoes. God, we just uh, so ask that you uh, come and be present and near. God, thank you for churches there who have a real understanding in this moment that churches aren't buildings, but churches are people. So as they rally to serve their communities, God, would you put your hand of blessing upon them? God, we thank you for governments and NGOs and all the folks that will flood those areas with uh, uh, relief 
Uh, God, and we just uh, trust that you will bring good things from this incredible tragedy. So God, as we listen now to your words, would you open us up? Would you fill us with a sense of wonder at who you are? Invite us into your story even deeper, Lord. We love you. Amen. So throughout our Advent series, we're looking at the Christmas story in the first two chapters of Luke. And as we consider this idea of receiving peace, it's glaringly obvious to me that the the peace that God brings into the world comes very differently than anyone would have expected, different in almost every way. Let's consider a few. Uh, The timing. From, From God's last words through the prophet Malachi, it had been more than 400 years since Israel heard from God. All the while, God was fulfilling prophecy. God's silence is not to be confused with inactivity. But the days of Herod were dark days, and the longing for a Savior grew even deeper and deeper. And then the angel Gabriel spoke to Zechariah, and the silence was broken. 432 years of of prayers, hope and despair, and hope again, wondering if God was listening. I don't know about you, but I grow weary when my prayers go unanswered for like 48 hours. So yeah, the timing of God's peace was different. And then we can consider uh, the middlemen of peace, or rather middle women of peace in this case. A very old woman, Elizabeth, and a very young girl, Mary, both told by the angel Gabriel that they would give birth. And then they did. Elizabeth to John and Mary to Jesus. A baby born to prepare the way and a baby born who is the way. It's this last piece of the story that's the most shocking, the source of peace. God brings peace into the world through a helpless child. And I want for us to understand that becoming peace means receiving the type of peace that Jesus is and brings. A lot of people then and a lot of people now see Jesus' life, they hear Jesus' words, and then walk away. It's not for them. It's too far-fetched. His words were too hard. He appeared to ask for too much. And yet this Prince of Peace came to serve and offered an easy yoke and a light burden. We can't claim Jesus and then not adopt his ways. So becoming the type of peace that Jesus brings requires vulnerability. And Jesus modeled that with his very birth. Like surely God could have dropped Jesus into the middle of the story as an adult, like already able to bathe and feed and clothe himself and tie his sandals or whatever it happened. But rather, Jesus came in naked vulnerability. Scott Erickson uh, put it this way. He says, how God starts out in the world is by saying, I'm going to rely on you for a very long time to take care of me. We kind of know Jesus like early on in the temple. He runs off. So maybe mom and dad were a little loose at first. And then we, we see him in his 30s. But there's a lot of care and development by mom and dad and the community before that. Jesus starts off by saying, I'm going to rely on you for a very long time to take care of me. God became a helpless child with us and for us. And to me, this busts our notions of of self-sufficiency, which at our core, we love. Receiving peace means bringing our vulnerability and need rather than our strength and self-sufficiency. This is indeed a peace not as the world gives, as Scripture says. Self-sufficiency seems to make war with with provision, doesn't it? It says, "I I don't need help. I can do this on my own. Or I didn't need help. I did that on my own. And yet, God modeled for us the power of needing help. Be reminded of, of this again today, that, that God's ways are different than our ways. 
God's coming as a helpless baby is a great example of what Paul meant when he wrote this in 1 Corinthians. Listen to these words. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He came through women and children, and in that day, not highly favored. Receiving the peace that Jesus brings means coming to terms with God's ways of doing things and laying down our notions of what makes sense and how we achieve whatever it is set out to do. Jesus Peace points to God alone as the giver and provider of all life and blessing. More broadly put, receiving Jesus' peace means adapting our understanding of righteousness and justice and how they're achieved. Jesus came not in a show of force, but in a show of vulnerability, absorbing violence and hatred and then reflecting love. And this is our call. Like John, we're to prepare the way. Listen to Zechariah's prayer for John again. It's a prayer that by extension comes to us. To give people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. I don't know about you, but my instincts, I would like to say our instincts don't often align with God's. So we need to be led. I was laughing to myself this week as I was considering this because I often say to people at a moment of decision, whether big or small, kind of half jokingly, but half serious, follow your heart. But in reality, this is actually terrible advice. Uh, We're fickle and emotional creatures. In fact, God says in Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all things and later warns us, lean not in your own understanding. This is from Proverbs 5 and 6. This could be our memory verse for the week. So if we could just go home and all memorize this, maybe you have it already. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. So our default paths are, are crooked and we need to be led. So let's turn to this idea of being led in the path of peace. John was inviting us to partner with peace. The peace is a person. We're partnering with Jesus himself by following his example. Again, because Jesus' way is different and our instincts are different. If you're looking for a place to, to re-engage scripture, if I could just encourage you as a place this week, read Jesus' words in Matthew uh, chapter five through seven. This is a section of scripture known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it begins with uh, a series of passages called the Beatitudes. And I thought for a long time uh, that it was because these are supposed to be your attitude. And it works, but it's really, it means supremely blessed. Like as these things are true of your life, you are supremely blessed. Matthew 5, 9 says, this is one of these beatitudes, says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. And this word peacemaker is only used a few times in the New Testament, one of which is to refer uh, to Jesus and his sense of reconciliation and service of laying down one's life. It also carries with it a sense of, of action and movement. 
And I love the image of our feet being led into the path of peace because it seems to prioritize to me just getting moving in the right direction, even over or before fully understanding or believing in the path of peace. Uh, Many of us, we'd like to study and understand, to think before we act. But this is like, just, just come on and I'll show you. It doesn't say lead our hearts and our minds in the path of peace, but our feet, the thing that moves us. It's like Jesus come follow me's throughout the gospels. Like the disciples, we're just supposed to drop our nets and go. And we're like, Jesus, I have so many follow-up questions, but like he's going, okay, I'm in. This is the Christian life. We keep moving in the direction Jesus calls us, bringing our questions with us or at other times, just leaving them all together. You may remember in our uh, Spirit, Soul, Body uh, sermon series and these classes that we do called Toward Wholeness, that part of what we unpack is that our soul is our mind, will, and emotions. And our spirit is the life and breath of God inside of us, breathed into us at creation. The Christian life is a continual process of learning to live out from the spirit of God rather than from our own mind, will, and emotions. Ironically, as we do this, we both find real peace and we connect with our deepest humanity as God inside us animates our whole being. We become who we were meant to be. And if you're wondering, uh, how do you know? How, how, do, how would I know this when I see it? What, the, what does this look like on display? The book of Acts is, is full of followers of Jesus being animated by the spirit of God, being led into the path of peace. Theologian Willie James Jennings puts it this way. The deepest reality of life in the spirit depicted in the book of Acts is that disciples of Jesus rarely, if ever, go where they want to go or to whom they would want to go. Indeed, the spirit seems to always be pressing the disciples to go to those to whom they would in fact strongly prefer never to share space or a meal or definitely not life together. It is precisely this prodding to be boundary crossing and border transgressing that marks the presence of the Spirit of God. I wonder today, where do we not want to go? To whom do we not want to go? Who do we not want to share space with? Who do we otherize? Conservatives, liberals, people of color, white people, men, women, kids, unvaccinated, the poor, the unhoused, those with a mental illness or disability. There are these places of discomfort and difference from us that we naturally often do not want to engage. But the spirit of Jesus might want to take you there this week for your sake and for their sake. And I wonder, will you let yourself be led? And it doesn't always go the way that we might think, but honestly, uh, I believe that obedience is half the battle. A friend told me a story that happened to him several years ago. Uh, He had just uh, made a withdrawal from the bank and had several thousand dollars in cash with him that he was going uh, to uh, pay for some repairs uh, on on his house. And so as he was driving, it was about dusk, uh, you know, going to become night. It was raining. And so he sees a man who's uh, about... uh, Six foot five, white guy, 400 pounds, and uh, what appears to be his wife or, or partner and several young children standing on the side of the road. And they have a whole lot of stuff as if they've just been 
kicked out of somewhere or, or uh, in transition. And so he feels the Lord say, like, spin around, help him, give him what's in your pocket. Very clear. So he kind of takes a deep breath, as we all would do, and decides, uh, I'm going to follow this voice. So he does. Spins around, gets out, uh, offers to help them. They need a ride across town. And so he piles them in his, his car, takes them there, gets them settled inside the house. Uh, and uh, as he's leaving, he talks to the woman and says, uh, I think he, he, he said he led with like, hey, Jesus loves you. I just, I care about you guys and want you to get on your feet. And I felt like the Lord telling me to give you what's in my pocket. And so he pulls out several thousand dollars in cash and gives it to this woman, uh, gives his phone number as well, and then leaves. Well, the next day he sees when he comes out of a meeting that uh, he's got a voicemail. His phone didn't ring. It went straight to voicemail for whatever reason. Uh, And so he starts listening to it and he's thinking it's going to be like, hey, thank you. We're getting on our feet. And it's the man. Uh, And he's like, the guy's like, thank you. We were able to go to Best Buy and get some laptops. I'm going to be a rapper. Uh, And instantly he was like, what? Like you can imagine the, the confusion, maybe a tiny, tiny bit of humor that was probably too soon. And, and, uh, instantly just some anger, right? And what I love about this is that, uh, and often why we talk about generosity is that though, you know, uh, we like to put our money in places where we know it's going to be stewarded well. Bethany has a proven track record of stewarding money well, but we often talk about generosity because it's more about what God will do in us and through us, even just the simple act of giving, Like if we give and someone takes the money and burns it in a dumpster out back, there's still a piece of that, that God is at work in you and through you in that act of giving. And so in this moment, uh, he was left a little bit shocked, but he knew, hey, the Lord had had spoken. And I told him, hey, years from now, you're going to see that guy on like America's Got Talent. (laughs) And it's going to be your seed money, right? (laughs) You sowed a seed of faith. But he wasn't sure if that was God's voice. And I said, no, I think it was, in part because there was some really significant provision that he had been waiting on that came the next day as God saw his his obedience. So we listen for his voice and, and we allow ourselves to be led into the path of peace. We join in the the end of the story where people from every nation, tribe, and tongue are together before the throne of God worshiping. Every act of reaching out Uh, across whatever barriers should remind us of that day when God brings us all together. The creation is headed toward the summing up of all things in Christ. So in traffic and in a long line at the store, in these situations where we've been wronged, some Costco installers the other day really scratched up my hardwood floors, uh, putting in an appliance. And it was in that moment that I was reminded of the end of the story. The following Jesus where he leads, offers us glimpses of glory now, and sometimes may even leave us scratching our heads. But God is forming a worshiping community, a people belonging to God and to one another. This leads us to our last point. We become peace by passing the peace. Some of you may have grown up in a, in a church or visited a church where they do a thing in the service uh, called passing the peace. It's, it's a little like our pre-COVID minute mingle here at Bethany where you maybe shake a hand. Um, some churches, you, you turn to someone and say some version of this, peace be with you. 
and they'll say, and also with you. Sounds a little formal, right? But you look them in the eye. Peace be with you and also with you. It's called passing the peace. Would you just do that now? Turn to someone, say, peace be with you. You guys are good. You had like a, heard more words than peace be with you there. It's like you like each other. This is great. <laughs> this is rooted in, in, in us being peacemakers and it has this communal posture. It says in small ways, it says, I see you. I just looked at you. I see you. I need you. I'm for you. I want the best for you. I can't do it alone. You shouldn't do it alone either. In the midst of whatever we're facing, we're saying, it is well, or sometimes we're, we're just hoping, we're saying, may it be well. Like just showing up here says, we aren't alone. We can do this. Each of us, whether we accept it or not, are the recipients of incredible compassion. Compassion means to suffer with. God saw us in our need and chose to take on human form and suffer alongside us and ultimately suffer on the cross on our behalf all over our city and world, in your home, work, school, community, everywhere we go, there's suffering people, rich, poor, white, black, Asian, men, women, children, LGBTQ, old and young, everyone. We're surrounded by people just like us, walking through all sorts of struggles, trials of many kinds, seen and unseen. We know, I would just say, I know that in Kentucky, in the days and years after this, these incredible tornadoes, You'll see how many barriers come down, how many uh, walls were put up. And yet when all walls were literally torn down throughout communities, those walls come down and they realize we're just people walking through tragedy together. We're invited this Advent season to, to pass the peace, to impart words and glances and a presence of peace, to suffer alongside in every setting that we find ourselves in. And we declare in big and small ways that Advent is the dark before the dawn. It's a season pregnant with hope. The light is breaking on the horizon. This week, we suffer with our friends at Bethany North who lost their new location, this location being prepared uh, for future worship, 24-7 space, to what appears to be an accidental electrical fire early Wednesday. And Bethany North, since its beginning uh, in 2010, has been a beautiful example of the church, uh, that the church has never been a building. They've worshiped in five or six different ones over the years. But as I, I stood outside the, the charred remains of the former Family Fund Center in Edmonds, with the North staff and many of the folks from Central Services here at Bethany and congregants, many of whom had worked tirelessly for months to prepare this space for services on Christmas Eve. We stood there and we were each kind of clearing a, a space for our feet on the concrete among all the broken glass. I was so angry that this dream so close to fruition was deferred again. I was sad and shocked when I, when I heard this uh, Wednesday morning. So I stopped by on my way into, into Green Lake because I just wanted to do something, as we often do. I wanted to offer some hope or encouragement. And I happened upon this prayer gathering. And as I stood there listening to words of, of grief and hope and prayer, I was encouraged and challenged as I heard staff and congregants and leaders over and over again bear witness to a few things that I wasn't thinking about that morning 
but needed to be reminded of. He kept saying, God is so good and faithful, even in the midst of this loss. And these weren't cliches. You could tell they meant it deep down. They knew it. God, please don't let anyone use this tragedy to doubt your goodness or be discouraged in their faith. Don't let anyone walk away because of this. We want our gatherings to bring people to you. That's what they were so excited about. And there had been some, some kind of war and tension in my heart, some grief, some doubt, some apathy even. And they passed the peace to me in the midst of their own grief and tragedy, bearing witness to God's goodness and our shared mission to bless our communities. It's so beautiful and funny to me how the folks inside tragedy are often the ones with the most perspective on it. You can see in the picture, Pastor Scott was knelt on the ground in grief and was the one ministering to me. This is the way of Jesus. And yes, it's, it's going to take resources, lots of time, talent, and money. We should just throw up the giving slide for North to live in their future as a gathered community in a new physical space. But the number one currency in the kingdom of God is faith, and they've got plenty of it. When we become peace, we carry faith into each and every situation, and we declare it as well. We bring a quiet confidence in not only the end of the story, but God's withness now. We love and serve, bringing every bit of our weakness and vulnerability, knowing that in God's economy, this is enough. And not only is it enough, it's the Christ-like offering. In Jesus, we have a God with a human heart. In Jesus, we have a God with a human heart. He is inside the tragedy with us, offering peace. So to become peace, to become human, is to become divine. So as we walk through this Advent season together, may we see the divinity and the humanity in one another. And may we celebrate the reality that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the light of heaven, is breaking through into our darkness. We're going to close by singing one of my favorite carols that captures so well this idea of heaven breaking in. As we respond now and just after the service, there'll be members of the prayer team just over here. Love to pray with you and any needs you have today. Whatever you're carrying, as we often say, please don't leave carrying it alone. As we respond in worship, let's pray together. God, we thank you for uh, being among us and with us today. God, we ask... Uh, that you would fill us with a sense of mission and purpose. But even as we do that, God, not to create anything, um, but just to join you, to, to allow our feet to be led in the path of peace in whatever situations you bring us into this week. God, we, we love you. God, we uh, help us to, to love your people. God, help us to be eyes open, our, our hearts listening for the ways that you'll move us uh, in this season. Lord, we love you. Bless us as we respond now. In your name, amen. Let's continue in worship.